Welcome into the USA Today Draftville podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist of the Tuscaloosa News, joined as always by Gentry Estes, sports columnist of the Tennessean. And we're really happy to have Jim Nagy on as our special guest this week. He, of course, is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, does a fantastic job down in Mobile, Alabama, Every January, with a big gathering of top draft prospects, we'll talk to Jim a little bit about this year's Senior Bowl, maybe some others as well. Looking forward to the draft coming up next week. Gentry, obviously, we've been doing this for close to six weeks now with a lot of anticipation. We're now down within a week of the draft. And and Jim, uh, this has got to be a special time for you, I would imagine, coming up on the draft. I, I, I know, you know you and I go way back you kind of treat these senior bowl squads that come in for you each year, almost like separate beings, right? They're, I mean, they're babies for you. How's this one growing up? Yeah. Um, good to be on with you guys. Appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah. Draft time is fun. Just uh, it's very different than working in the NFL. Uh, yeah, I miss the team building part of it this, you know, in this part of the year, you know, these last final draft meetings, I, I do miss that, but um, draft day is a lot of fun because you get to see where these guys end up. You know, we, we get a connection with these players. You know, we've been following them for so long. And then and then you, you connect through the invitation process. And then you get in a mobile and really stay connected after our game. And, I you know, I hit these guys up after the combine and pro days and whatnot and just to check in on them. So it's great to see them realize their dreams. So it's it's a, it makes draft day a lot of fun. We'll, we'll go on some runs here where. You know, I think last year there was a run where we had 12, 12 straight picks. We're senior bowl guys in like the third round. That was a lot of fun. So, um, no, this, uh, you know, it's when you work for a team, you get like seven, eight picks. Um, you know, at the senior bowl last year, we had 106 guys drafted. So it was, uh, it's just uh, makes draft day a lot of fun. I was talking to Gentry before we launched here, and and he happened to spill the, the beans that he's actually never made it down to a senior. We got to get him down there, Jim. Get uh, and actually, I, uh, I worked three years for the press register in Mobile, but I was their University of Alabama beat writer, so I was hours away in Tuscaloosa. Oh, man. Yeah, we got we to gotta get you down, man. It's a great week. <laughs> but obviously, you know, the Senior Bowl has been the kind of the gold standard of these for a while. Do you think it's more difficult now to convince guys to, to, to play in these kind of games, you know, in this age of opting out of bowl games and this kind of thing? Or are... are do you think that they're even more interested in the exposure than in the past? Um, I'll say this. It's gotten easier over the last four years. You know, we've put in a lot of hard work over social media. Over the last four years, our like our impressions um, since 2018 have jumped from, I think it was $41 million the first year we were here. And this past year in 2021, it was $362 million. So we, uh, the word is out. The players are connected. Um you know, I think they look forward to it. You know, we've had some players say they went back to school because they didn't get an invite the previous year. We've had had players tell us like this was their main goal was to get a senior bowl invite. So I do think just, you know, using social media and that platform and connecting with the players that way and and uh, this helped us. It's really helped us. And then obviously our best recruiters are the are the players that have played in the game over the last, you know, three, four years. So to me, I feel like it's gotten easier um, over our time here. That's a great point, Jim. Before we get into some of the players we want to talk about, I know social media is something that scouts, and you're a longtime scout. You scouted with the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks, the Patriots. You've been with several organizations. Social media is something that scouts keep at arm's length uh, at best. 
Uh, but you've kind of become a force when it comes to social media. The, the Senior Bowl Twitter feed has certainly grown a ton since you took over. I guess it's been five, four or five years now. And you, your personal Twitter feed's blown up as well. For a guy who probably, I'm assuming, didn't do much with social media before you came to the Senior Bowl, you, you picked that up uh, like a duck to water. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, Chase, it, it's been a little... Uh... Yeah, I didn't have I didn't even have a Twitter before I got the senior bowl job. I was never on social media, never on Facebook, none of that. Um, so it's been a little unnatural, uh, for sure. I mean, when you're a scout, you're you know, you're the worst thing you can be as a scout is a self promoter, but with this job, it you kinda have to be. Um, you know, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna take on a job, you gotta do what it takes to do it do it its best. Um, and again, I I feel like using social media has been a a big tool for us. Um, just from a, a visibility standpoint, I just heard from a lot of agents, you know, before I took the job was that, you know, a lot of the players that get their invite and they didn't really know what the senior bowl was, even though it's been a great game for a long, long time. Like that was, that was troublesome to me that, that players didn't know what the game was all about. So that's been, that's been the push is to really make this an anticipation. You know, these guys look forward to getting the invite, hoping they get in the invite and, uh, and really making it more of a year-round presence. You know, you can't just show up in, in December and January and, and expect, you know, a lot of people to get behind your game. So, you know, we'll get through this draft cycle. I'm really looking forward to it because I'm ready to move on to 2023. We're, uh, you know, our staff's done a great job. We're almost through all the Power 5 stuff. I think we're just getting ready to finish up the Big Ten um, and then start pushing content all through the summer. And uh, to me, that's that's fun. And we the, the goal is to make it, you know, a 12, 12 month deal and not just, you know, popping up in pre-draft process and, and that being what the senior bowl is all about. Quarterback class down in Mobile was definitely a strong one, Jim. Pretty much all the top quarterbacks were down there. I guess Matt Corral, an underclassman, would have been the one exception. But this quarterback class has taken a little bit of a beating this year from some of the draft experts. But you saw those guys up close. You scouted them last fall. Uh, how do you look at, at at this group of quarterbacks? I guess Corral included, if, if we're talking about all of them, but especially the ones you saw down in Mobile. How do you assess that group as a whole? Yeah, and, and I know Matt. Um, I was at a couple camps with him last summer. Got to know him personally a little bit and watching him throw him. He's a really fun guy to watch throw the football. Um but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, like any class, I mean, you can hammer this class. Maybe there's not a Justin Herbert. Maybe there's not like that or Joe Burrow or that that slam dunk franchise guy. Um, but there's going to be two or three of these guys that end up being really, you know, successful winning NFL quarterbacks. It's just, you know, which ones are they? So um, I think the unique thing about this group is that they all bring a little bit different skill set to the table. And, th and they're all different guys. Um, you know, just talking about the guys in our game, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell. I mean, I think all the, all four of those guys will go in the first round. But when you spend time with them or around them and watch them amongst their peers, I mean, they're just they're different leaders. They're different dudes. Um, so, you know, what these teams are trying to figure out is which one of these guys fits, you know, in their system and in their culture. Um, so that's why I, there's a lot of intrigue, you know, surrounding next Thursday night. And I'm, I'm just I'm just really curious where they're all going to end up. I do think all four of those guys will go. In the first, I think I think Corral probably will as well. I think we'll end up seeing five quarterbacks. Again, you can say that it's not a great class, but you know I've been a part of an organization in Kansas City where, you know, I spent four years there and we never drafted one, and then you lose your job. So, you know, we had we had chances to take Russell Wilson and Ryan Tannehill and 
you know, a bunch of guys over, you know, especially in that, I think that was the 2012 draft or 2009 draft, maybe, um, forget what year that was, but you know, we didn't take the swing. Um, so, you know, teams that need one right now, I think, I think they're going to, they're going to take a swing. And again, if it, if you don't hit in a couple of years, well, then you got another, you got another chance, another chance at it. So, um, yeah, next Thursday should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. It really doesn't matter, I guess, at that whether it's a strong class, weak class, or anything in between. At that position, names are going to fly off the board in that first round because it's such a it, it's uh, it, it's the center of the roster. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought you. Everyone talks about quarterbacks, the most important position in team sports. I mean, maybe goalie in hockey, but um, but there's you know. Teams don't put a lot of, you know, I think comparatively they don't put enough resources into it. You know, I mean, you, you got to figure out that position. And I was I was really lucky to work for a couple of franchises in New England with with Brady and Seattle with, with Russell Wilson, where, you know, you're just building around that guy. Once you get that guy in place, it makes the draft process so much easier because now you're it's not that constant search. Now you can just plug in pieces around that guy. But um, so, you know, I've always you, you look back at the Washington draft where they doubled down with. RG3 and Kirk Cousins and you know they took a lot of heat that year why would they do that why not you know I mean you're taking it I mean the fourth round anyway what are you you're trying to hit on like a fourth corner or a, you know a, a third or fourth right. wide receiver in the fourth round why not take another shot at a QB so um, no I think it makes sense for a lot of these teams just to you know pump some resources into it again take your shot because you you know you're you're gonna you're gonna have a stab here in a couple years anyway and you know, I think outside of the top 10, I mean, I think the media is a little more forgiving. I think if you take one up in the top 10, for whatever reason, that carries a little bit of a stigma. You're kind of held to that guy. Uh, you take one later in the first or whatever, you take a shot. It doesn't work out. Um, if you're a GM or a head coach, you're not. You're probably not going to lose your job over that guy. Now, if you take one in the top 10, you probably will. I, I don't know why there's a difference between the two, between the two, but it just seems like there is. Jim, in terms of players in Mobile this year who helped themselves the most, boosted their draft stock the most, who are a couple of the names that come to, to the top of your mind uh, in that regard? Boye Mafi for me, certainly the pass rusher from Minnesota, I would think would have to be on that list. I was there all week. I was down there with the linemen one-on-ones as much as I could be, and, and he was certainly a guy that jumped out. Yeah, I think, you know, you can always point point to the small school guys, Chase. Um, so like Christian Watson, the receiver from North Dakota State, has got himself in position, at least now, to being talked about as maybe a late first. That was certainly not the case coming in. You know, Christian was probably more of a three, um, you know, going into the week, three, four going into the week. You've got guys like, you know, Troy Anderson um, from Montana State, the linebacker. I mean, he was a guy that when we called around, he was kind of a late ad for us. Um, I'll be honest, like there's no player has surpassed my personal expectations for them more in the four years I've been here than Troy Anderson. You know, when we called around in the league and tried to vet him out and make sure he was a guy the league wanted to see here. There were still some teams in December that, that had him graded as more of an offensive gadget, Taysom Hill type player. They, you know, he wasn't even a slam dunk linebacker for them. So, and now to know that you talk to teams that are in the league, they think he's going to go in the top 50 picks. Um, probably went from like a fifth or sixth round guy to a, you know, a top 50 guy. So I think the small school guys always help. And, and then you look at guys that maybe were used a certain way in college. Um, and then they get here and they're maybe used in a different way, like a Jalen Petrie at Baylor. 
Um, played from depth more down here. I think team saw more as a traditional safety on the field here in Mobile. Uh, Perion Winfrey, who was was more of a you know a zero tech or a two tech, played head up on uh, you know the center of the guard at Oklahoma. Now he's shaded down here as more of a three tech, and you know was was basically unblockable the whole week. It wasn't just the game where he won the MVP. You go through the practice stuff, and um, Perion was a handful. So. Um, I mean, those are just a few names, but uh, yeah, I feel like there's a bunch of guys helped themselves a bunch. And like you said, boy, Mafe was one of them too. Jim, in the, in the scouting prior, here's something I've always wondered about about Senior Bowl week and the practices leading up to it is when these teams are, are are scouting players, what can you see in that kind of setting that you can't see just by watching game tape from college? I think a lot of things. I think you know, I think arm strength for quarterbacks. I think speed. I think speed, explosion, physicality, I think you feel that more in a live setting than sometimes on tape. Um, you know, like in our practices are great because you see a guy, how mentally resilient he is. You know, like Chase referenced the one-on-ones. I mean, you see a guy, they take two reps back to back. So you see, you see a guy might get his, his butt whooped in the first rep, you know, takes the coaching point from the, from the offensive line coach or the D-line coach, and then you see how he, one, he bounces back and competes and then how does he apply whatever the coach was saying maybe on that next rep maybe if it's a correction in his pass set um so coachability mental toughness i think there's a bunch of things there competitiveness i mean you look at look at trevor penning during the week i mean trevor got the the tackle from northern iowa you know he he got a lot of got a lot of buzz during the week for his his nasty edge and his physicality but to me, going back over the tape and watching it during the week was I watched Tyreek Smith um, from Ohio State, the edge player. For whatever reason, those two guys got got matched up a ton during the week in the one on ones. And to see Tyreek fight back, you know, he just didn't take Trevor Penning's crap. You know, he he fought back and gave it back to him. So um, I think there's a lot of those things, you know, and just interaction with teammates and the juice they bring to practice and the energy and the focus. I mean, I think there's so many little little things that you don't see on college tape that you see down here that are great takeaways. A lot of how, fun. How, how does an NFL team get to be the coaching staff for this game? I know that you, you're picking from teams that aren't in the playoffs, but is it fairly competitive? I imagine it's a pretty good advantage for them to be able to do that. Yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, that's done through the league office. That's not, that has nothing to do with the senior bowl. Um, and again, years and years ago, it used to be the team that lost the, the championship games. Um, would come down here and coach the senior bowl. And then I don't know how many years ago, it's been a while now. Uh, it's probably been a couple decades, but now, it, now they use the draft order. So they start at the top and really the only caveat is you need to have a full staff in place down here to do it. So if there's coaching turnover in a place, they're usually, you know, preclude those teams from, from being a part of it. But, you know, you start there at the top. I want to say in this, you know, so for this year's draft, Detroit's picking two, they jumped on it and uh, the jets are sitting there at four and they jumped on it as well. It's, it's a big advantage. I think it's one of those hidden mechanisms for parity that people don't really think about, but the league smartly uses it. I mean, you, the league, the, the league's mission is to have everyone be eight and eight, right? With like the, the schedule balance and, and everything. I mean, everything, the draft order is built for this league to be parity. And I think the senior bowl coaching steps is one of them. And uh, I think it's one of those overlooked things and the, the league's used it. And uh, I think it's really smart because right? I think the teams that coach in the game uh, have a lot of great behind-the-scenes takeaways that maybe the other 32 te- the other 30 teams don't. One of the things that blew me away on that subject was, and I didn't even know it until, I think it was actually a Senior Bowl 
press press release that I learned this from, but the Jets hadn't coached the Senior Bowl in like 40-some years before this year. I think it was the late 70s, the last time the Jets staff uh, was running one of those Senior Bowl teams, which for all the years the Jets have struggled, at least uh, in my in my memory, that's a little surprising. Yeah, it goes all the way back to, I remember that in that draft, they took Marty Lyons and Mark Gastineau. So for, for guys our age, I mean, we, we know those names, but... Uh, Especially Gastineau. At one point, he held that that sack record forever. I believe Strahan broke it. I think I think you know Gastineau held that record. But yeah, it'd been a long, long time. And you'd think for for as many years as Jets had struggled that they they would have gotten the shot at some point. Um, so yeah, it just worked out. I'll, I'll say this: Robert Sala and that group, and Joe Douglas, the GM. I mean, they really embraced this. I think teams are. I think at least in the in the four years I've been here, the teams that have taken part, they understand. You know like how big this week is. And Robert Sala was a part of a bunch of these uh, with San Francisco a couple of years ago, my first year at the game. And then he'd been, been at a few of them with Jacksonville. Um, so like he had background with how to go through senior bowl week and uh, their staff did a great job. All right, Jim, before we let you go, we're going to put you on the spot really quickly. Can you lay us an over under number, an over under line on how many first round picks from the 2022 Senior Bowl we're going to see next Thursday? I would put it at nine. Um, you know, we had 10 back in 2019, our first year here. Um, I think we'll be close to that, Chase. I think with the four quarterbacks with, you know, Pickett, Ritter, um, Howell, and Willis. And then you've got guys like, you know, Zion Johnson, Christian Watson, um, you know, I'm, I'm staring at the board. I'm cheating now. Like Trevor Penning, uh, Jermaine Johnson, Devontae Wyatt, Travis Jones, Perrion Winfrey. Um, so it'll be close. I think I think nine's probably, probably if I was a, if I was setting that line in Vegas, it, I think nine's probably the number. Sounds good. Great. Well, listen, uh, appreciate you joining us here on the USA Today Draftville podcast. Going to let our our listeners uh, know before we let you go that if they want to follow Jim Nagy on Twitter, uh, the handle is Jim Nagy. That's N-A-G-Y underscore S-B, which, of course, represents Senior Bowl. And, Jim, thanks again for coming on. Hopefully we'll bring you back next year. Yeah, awesome, guys. Thanks. Enjoy the draft. Good to see you again. You too, Jim. See you. There he goes, Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Does a super job down there every year, Gentry. And uh, he's got a big task down there. And, and people, I think, sometimes underestimate the work it takes to put on an annual event like that because it's one week out of 52. Uh, but he's got a staff down there, a scouting staff. He's got an administrative staff uh, that works underneath them. And it's a... It's a 12-month-a-year gig in terms of the preparation that goes into it, the scouting and all that. Like you you heard him say, he's already ready to move on to 2023. Yeah, you get some some pretty heavy hitters in NFL circles that, that have been in in his role and in, in running things with that game. I remember Phil Savage did it uh, for, for a while, the former GM in the league. And, uh, you know, what I think of when I think of Phil Savage is that uh, he was also at it I think uh, around that time is the uh, color analyst for Alabama football radio. Uh, right. And I always thought that was a quintessential Nick Saban move to bring in a seasoned football observer 
Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be watching every minute of his team's games, and then he right. can go to, go to them and probably pick their brain on what they saw on his team. <laughs> Always, uh, never, never a stone unturned with Nick Saban there in Tuscaloosa. No, no, absolutely. That was clever for sure. Phil Savage uh, had his hands in a, a couple different pots there. He did a good job with the senior bowl as well. Really, I, I think it started taking off. It went to a new level with, with when Phil came in. And uh, I, I think they started getting uh, better prospects than they had uh, probably under the previous regime, a little more excitement around the league. And I think Jim's taking it to uh, another level himself with the job he's done. So great to have uh, Jim Nagy on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, draft here before we close out the podcast. Gentry, obviously, we're looking forward to uh, next week's podcast, which of course will be right up on the first round, which uh, will be Thursday evening. Of course, rounds two and three coming up on Friday, and then on Saturday uh, they'll finish things off rounds four through seven. What about what about the the squad that you're most closely associated with in your work, Gentry, the Tennessee Titans? What are you hearing uh, in terms of the? Uh, the position needs and and maybe a couple guys they might have an interest in early. Well, it's interesting we talked to to Jim because I think that the Titans last year in particular, but but in the past have have uh, had a, have been pretty fond of Senior Bowl guys. Uh, they and a lot of the names he mentioned, like a Trevor Penning, guys like that. Um, I do think are 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 in play for the for the Titans in this. Uh, you know, anytime that you know they're picking twenty six, so any time. You're that low. It's tough to pinpoint. Hey, what position are they going to go to? Because I think a lot of it could end up hinging on who's available. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I've seen the Titans mock to be taking uh, like an inside linebacker, Nicobe Dean, Devin Lloyd. I don't think the Titans are need an inside linebacker. They kept Zach Cunningham uh, this last offseason, who fell into their lap, quite frankly, from the Texans in the middle of last year. Um, so I don't think they're lo- they, they don't really have a need an inside linebacker. But but hey, look, if Devin Lloyd is sitting there at pick number twenty six, yeah, they they might do it. That, that's a good enough player where they're not going to let him fall. I think from the quarterback standpoint, that could happen. Uh, if Kenny Pickett or somebody like that happened to still be there at twenty six, then I don't think that'll happen. But if it does, then you know who knows. Um, I think for for the Titans though, I would say wide receiver, offensive line would be the two places I would I think are the most likely. Uh, and from that standpoint, it wouldn't shock me at this point to see a guard. They need a left guard. They let Roger Saffold go after this last season, and he was he was a pretty important part of what, what they wanted to do. They had a 2,000-yard rusher running a lot of times behind that left side of the line with him and Taylor Lewan. So uh, it's important, I think. So, so a guy like Zion Johnson, Boston College, Kenyon Green, Texas A&M, uh, I think the, the, those are two. That, that I would look at and you know so so I don't think it's going to be as I sit here right here a week beforehand I don't think it's going to be a real sexy pick for for the for the Titans if they do go with an interior offensive lineman but I say that Chase and they could trade up and you know and and and, and go get Malik Willis I don't know they could do a lot worse than Zion Johnson from Boston College, who I think Jim briefly mentioned when we had him on. He he was outstanding down at the Senior Bowl. I thought he he's a I think he could play center. I think he could play guard. He's strong as as he can be. 
uh, hardly any fat on him. He's not the kind of guy who's going to get out of shape. At least he looked in great shape uh, when he was down in Mobile. So, yeah, if they're looking for an interior offensive lineman, maybe it's Zion Johnson from Boston College. Now, he, um, I think his projection is a little further down. I, I think he's viewed as maybe a little bit more of a high-end second-rounder than, than, than a back-end first-rounder, but maybe that's uh, something to watch for Well, and I'll well. tell you this, too, on him. Uh, Vrabel's kid was an offensive lineman at Boston College. So There's an Vrabel, easy scout. <laughs> Vrabel not only has watched every minute of Boston College football the last few years, he's watched their offensive line very yeah. closely for the last couple of years. So just something to tuck away there if Zion Johnson's sitting there. Not an NFL coach who knows Zion Johnson better than probably That's uh, than, than, than Vrabel. The Jacksonville Jaguars, of course, I grew up in Jacksonville. I try to keep up with what's going on there. They're taking, uh, they're, they're picking number one. Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, certainly uh, a name that's being, I guess he's the, the favorite. I still contend that left tackle is what Jacksonville ought to do at number one and what they might ultimately do. And that would mean, uh, a Kwanu from North Carolina State or Evan Neal from Alabama. Uh, those two guys, definitely the top two offensive tackles in the draft. They've got to protect Trevor Lawrence. If Lawrence is the guy, he's the number one pick of the draft the previous year, you got to build around him. And, and maybe they do take a pass rusher. Maybe Hutchinson is, is, is a star in the NFL. I'm not saying that uh, they have to take an offensive lineman number one overall, but the next, if you're going to pick a quarterback number one and bank your future on him, like the Jaguars have done with Lawrence, then the offensive line has to be a huge priority, if not the number two priority on, on the whole roster. And and uh, we'll see how they end up addressing that gentry. But it, you got to protect these guys. You got if if they're going to develop, they need a little time in the pocket. Trevor Lawrence didn't have much of that last year. No, I completely agree. You know, and, and we haven't, we didn't even really discuss this before the starting the podcast when it comes to, to Hutchinson. I, you know, look, there's a lot of football people that know a lot more about this than I do. All I know is I watched the playoff game when Michigan played Georgia, never saw him. Yeah. As far as I know, he wasn't even at that game. Right. And, you know, I, I understand that's only a snapshot of a very impressive career. But if you're talking about the number one pick in the draft, he needs to show up in a game that important. I'm sorry. I, I, that, that's going to shape my opinion, even if it shouldn't. And I also agree with you, having watched the Jags a lot, being in the Titans division, I agree with you on the left tackle. I, I think they, they have they've added Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they didn't even get to play Travis Etienne last year. I mean, they, they've added some nice pieces on that offense, Christian Kirk now. But I agree, left tackle. They, uh, they, they, you can't get where they want to go without being good there. Right. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thursday night, first round again, Friday night rounds two and three. Rest of the draft will be on Saturday. Gentry and I will be back next week for another edition of the USA Today Draft Build podcast. Want to thank our listeners for joining us here this morning for Gentry Estes, sports columnist of the Tennessean. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist of the Tuscaloosa News, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Draftville.